Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. You know full well that life can be pretty complicated, and that's a nice word for saying it's very busy. There's a lot on, and you have things that are important to you, people that are important to you, so you're working hard, you're trying to fit it all in, and Every now and again, we might feel like, I need a break, I need a breather. Then sometimes that might just not do it. And then you're reminded that above your own responsibilities, Jesus said you're supposed to be the light of the world. And there's supposed to be part of your life that's there to make a difference in the world around you. But if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we don't keep an eye out for it, without even seeing it coming, maybe that light inside of us can burn out. And so, (laughs) today and over the next few weeks, we want to talk about how to avoid burning out. How to avoid burning out. And the reason we've caught it, didn't see it coming, is because most people don't. And whatever burnout might look for you in your context, it's not like people are, I'm going to burn out in exactly three weeks' time, you know. You don't see it coming. It can just hit one day kind of out of nowhere. And so we want to talk about not just what burnout is, but ultimately how to avoid it, how to see it coming a long way off, and what to do about it. And I'm going to go with the assumption that um, you care about your life, you care about your health, you care about your potential, and you care about the influence you want to make in your world. And along with the idea of you know, burnout, which can sometimes come out of nowhere, there's a few other things that come along with it. Cynicism, compromise, disconnection, maybe irrelevance or even pride and emptiness. And The reason we want to talk about this is because we believe these don't have to be part of your story. Your story doesn't have to end with burnout. You can ultimately see it coming. And isn't this true? That usually we are spiraling down before we hit rock bottom. And so we want to address it there where the spiral's happening. And maybe there's signs about it. And and I guess the idea of burnout is a pretty big term. And I'm certainly, you know, no doctor or professional at this, but I do have oxygen in my lungs and experience real life. Um, burnout, to be honest, I find is bigger than just accumulated fatigue. In addition to the physical component, there are spiritual, relational, and emotional components we have to consider as well. Now, at this point, you might be asking, why are we talking about an idea like burnout in a church service? You might be tuning online here going, aren't we supposed to be talking about God and the Bible and all these things? I never once saw the word burnout written in a Bible. It depends what version you have, really. Um, maybe you're someone who isn't normally in church and, or you're, you, know, you're not, you don't come from a church background. But someone invited you along today because maybe they saw that some things in your life that hopefully this series might be able to help. However you've come here today, the reason I want to talk about this because this is not a psychology clinic. I'm not doing some big corporate you know, counseling session right now. And this is certainly no GP clinic either, you know, even though there's some wonderful GPs in the room and watching along. Um, the reason we want to talk about this is because we're convinced, and we're going to look over the next few weeks, that God, funnily enough, cares about how you are. He cares about your well-being. He cares about how you're living your life. He cares about the difference that you're called to make. He cares about how you're going. And if the past 18 months have reminded us of anything, they've certainly reminded us that we aren't in control of everything in our life. Now, subconsciously, you probably already knew this. 
but we like to live in, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? I like to have at least the illusion of control, but we're all aware now, man, there's a ton of being alive in the 21st century where there's a lot of my life that apparently is out of my control and I really can't do much about it other than be upset, you know? So we're so much out of our control, at least being so aware with what is out of our control. And again, the last 18 months have, have put a, a, even more pressure than before on Australians' mental health and mental well-being, and we, you know, we love to talk about this issue quite regularly whenever we can. Um, given the, the state that things are in, I think it's super important to discuss, well, well, what is in our control? And what can we be intentional about? If we can't be in control of all the externals and everything that is happening to us, well, can, what can we be responsible for? Well, the bet, better question is, what parts of our life has God given us stewardship of? Because there's a ton in the world that maybe you can have a say and an opinion and some measure of influence, but not all control. But perhaps there is part of our life, and this is the part I want to talk about, that God has given you and me responsibility to take care of and to not outsource the responsibility to someone else or to some other organization or group or leader or government or someone you voted for, right? This is stuff that, wow, I got several syllables in there in under three seconds. The parts of your life that God has given you stewardship of. And I want to get straight to the heart of this today about what we're going to address over the next few weeks. Two of the big areas that God has given us stewardship of. Number one, I think we'd all agree, whether you're a Christian or not, is your priorities. Your priorities. And no doubt there's a a ton of people and organizations that would love for you to put their priorities at the top of your list. But ultimately, God has given you the stewardship and the responsibility to determine what are your priorities priorities in life, right? We have lots of them, so you've got to kind of put them somewhere. And secondly, and where we're going to sit today is God has given you stewardship over the pace of life you're supposed to live or that you could live. And again, there's a ton of temptation and a ton of pressure in order to live, you know, other people's expectations of the pace we should live. But what is God required of you and I when it comes to not only our priorities or our pace in life, our pace? Uh, one of my my absolute favorite hobby is to run. And I, I love long distances. If I have literally six hours of my day, I could not think of anything better than going for a very long run. Now, you don't even have to be an athlete or even like sports by any means to understand that in order to run a long way, don't burn yourself out too soon, right? Pace is super important. You guys all understand? Everyone's going rolling their eyes instead of nodding their heads. Here we go, running story. But you get that, right? In order to run fast, your pace is super important. And so if you can manage your pace, well, ultimately, you know, you can last a long time. Um, last month, um, unfortunately, the local marathon here got canceled uh, due to coronavirus and all the tensions around that and the safety measures needed for it. And unfortunately, there's a whole ton of people in this community that were training for that event. In fact, on the Sunday we were plan- uh, on the Sunday night service, we we're planning on giving everyone who participated their own medal ceremony here. It was gonna- we planned it on being super fun and then it got taken from us. Uh, but nonetheless, um, there was one guy, a lot of you know him, good friend of mine, Elliot, and he just had a dream. I'm going to run a marathon. He had zero running foundation in his life. But he had 10 weeks. He came in and saw me and goes, can I do the marathon? I'm like, of course you can. No, no. Let me, well, I eventually said that. But the way I pitched it to him was I said, nah, you can't do it. I was like, I'm going to do it then. I was like, got him. You got to understand people's motivation. 
So I kept saying, you don't have it in you. You're not man enough. You're not tough enough, you know. Anyway, but he started going for it and started clocking up the Ks. And we were like two weeks out from race day. And so we had our last big run. I was like, I'll join you for your last big run. So the goal was to run 32 kilometers. And I was like, this should be a fun morning out. It was a hot day. He'd done everything right. He was ready to go. Um, and he had all of his like energy gels. And again, what the heck's an energy gel? It is what it sounds like. It's a gel that you eat that gives you energy, okay? It's lightweight. Um, I didn't bring any. Didn't feel I, need, I didn't want any. Didn't need any. And, but he had his who's preparing for race day and the nutrition needed. And as we're running along through the day, um, and you know, it's hot and you know, the hours are ticking over. He starts offering me every time he'd pull out an energy gel. He only had about three or four of them. He started offering me some. I'm like, no, no, mate, they're for you. I'm good. And he goes, no, no, seriously. I'm like, all right, if you're offering. And so I'd take half of his energy gels. When there was about an hour to go, we'd kind of hit in those high 20Ks. And man, he bonked hard. Just his spirit was willing, but his body said no. I've never in my life seen a grown human man in such horrendous pain. Like the poor guy was on the ground, just in a ball, weeping his eyes out. One of those, I might have exaggerated a little bit or may not have, I might not have, I'll let you decide. Um, you can ask Elliot yourself. But I was like, oh, come on, man, you can do it. Like trying to get him off the ground. Like now we got there. He was a broken shell of a human being by the end of it. And why was that? You know why? Because he was sharing the energy that was for him in his journey with someone else. He was sharing it with me. Someone else took what was reserved for him. And eventually, well, he burnt out. Now, as much as that story is a bit of funny, funny I think that the principle there for all of our lives, and if you've lived long enough and you've experienced enough of life, you've learned that life has a lot of bumps in the road. In fact, you've learned that there's so many bumps in the road that you've come to the conclusion that these are no longer bumps in the road. It is a bumpy road. And because life is like that and because life is full and there's complexities to our priorities and the pace of life and there's different seasons, you have to run according to the race that you're in. And you have to be intentional about running in such a way that you finish the race. And this is where Jesus' pace of life, I believe, holds some incredible keys to life for us. Whatever you think of God and faith and that spectrum, I want to invite you into looking at and considering what Jesus had to say and exemplify to us about this. Um, and the context I want to give it in is I think sometimes wrongly we can have an idea that the Christian way, the Jesus way, somehow helps us to avoid the tensions of life. And if I experience many tensions in life, I'm not doing it the Christian way. It's not for that. The Christian way certainly will help you, if you follow it, will help you avoid maybe a lot of the mistakes in life and a lot of the regrets of life. But it will never help you avoid the tensions of life. But the Jesus way, the Christian way, certainly is a way for the tensions of life. Jesus never gave a way out of life experiences. He gave us a way for life experiences, how to handle it, how to manage it, and how to balance it. And so looking at a whole lot of what Jesus taught, a whole lot of what Jesus did, often when you look at the life of Christ through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they're kind of, they're like the biographies of Jesus' life. They're written, they were the names of the authors who wrote it. Um, You'd see Jesus would sometimes be like addressing a, a particular crowd of people or particular segment of society, maybe it's religious or unreligious folk, uh, or he'd be like addressing an individual. But every now and again, for the best we can understand of the context, when Jesus said certain things, he was addressing it almost universally to anyone who was in earshot and to anyone who would read it anywhere that this was ever recorded by anyone sitting there taking notes. 
Um, this is one such passage where, from the best we can tell, Jesus wasn't addressing an individual or specific group of people. He was addressing it to everyone. And it was written by one of his followers who was there named Matthew. Matthew writes this in his account of Jesus' life. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Does this sound like burnout to you? Maybe it sounds like you for a moment, or you've been feeling like that. You're weary, you're burdened. Jesus calls you out. He says, I see you, I am for you, I'm, I care about how you're doing, and I want to invite you to come to me. Where do you go when you're weary and burdened? When you're feeling burnt out, worn out, overblown it, redlining it, who do you go to? Jesus says, you can come towards me. I will give you rest. And then he clarifies what he means by this. Next verse, he says, I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now to understand what a yoke is, Jesus fundamentally was a rabbi. And every rabbi had what was called the rabbi's yoke, or in other words, the rabbi's teaching. And if you would hear any rabbi's teaching or their yoke, you would, if you started following their teaching, that was called taking on their yoke it was also an agricultural term. If you walk side by, like two beasts of burden would be yoked together. That's what Jesus was inviting you to do, to take on his teaching, learn from him, walk side by side with him. And you could find out what school of thought or teaching any rabbi was trained under by their yoke, because essentially you got passed on a yoke by a rabbi who you learned from. But every two or three generations, a rabbi would come along who they deemed had authority. And if you had authority, that meant you had permission to make up your own yoke. That's why often you'd read in the gospel accounts of Jesus, they would say about Jesus when they hear him teach, they're like, you don't sound like the others. You sound like someone with authority. Speaking that he could come up with his own yoke, his own teaching. And this is what made Jesus so attractive to people. He didn't sound like anyone else. And so he said, I want you to take my yoke upon you. I want you to learn from me. Put the yoke around you, learn. Walk in step, in sync with me. For I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest. This goes so much deeper than just a physical side of things. He says, you will find rest for your souls. And that term incorporates every part of your lived being, your emotions, your mind, your will, every part of you. He says, you'll find rest for that part of your life. For my yoke it is easy and my burden. It's not that it's non-existent. It exists. It's just light. In other words, Jesus has a yoke, but the unique thing about his way or his yoke or his teaching is that it won't weigh you down. Arguably, if we are doing things the way Jesus has invited us to do things, we should hopefully avoid burnout. And you and I have learned our pace of life from somewhere or someone. And we've bought into someone or something's philosophy of how to do life. And from what I can tell, it seems to be the Jesus way that is promised. If you learn to follow in His footsteps and to, as He said, to learn from Him and to take on His yoke, you will find a pace and a way of life that doesn't burn you out or weigh you down, but rather you'll find a pace of life that leads to life. Imagine a pace of life like that. A way that you go, I'm doing it this way and like, 
It's actually not burning me out. It's energizing me. Yeah, there's a burden. There's a weight to it. There's a discipline to it. There's a, there's, you know, a commitment to it, but I'm not weighed down. I feel like I'm getting better. Now think of Jesus for a moment. You will not find anyone in all history who was more committed to their mission, who had more laser focus attention to their task and so aware also of the limited time in which we had to accomplish his purpose. But if you consider Jesus' pace in all of this, it flies in stark contrast to how you and I attempted to run in our lives. Think about it. Jesus, he knew he had three somewhat years to change and save the world and set up a movement that wouldn't die with his death, but would grow with his resurrection. And here we are today over 2,000 years later, and it's still growing, right? He was so aware of why he was put on the planet. He was so committed to the people that God had given him to have responsibility for. Yet nowhere in the Gospels do we see Jesus rushing. Nowhere do we see Jesus flustered. Nowhere do we see Jesus panicked. He had time for everything he was committed to and even more importantly, everyone he'd been given responsibility for. But the secret to Jesus is that he never lived by others' expectation of him. He lived by his heavenly Father's expectation of him. And here's the difference. So for some some way, Jesus not only had time for crowds, he also had time for individuals. He spent time, yes, with community leaders, but he also spent time with family Jesus even had time to go to weddings and be the barman. Christian jokes. But he also had time to go to synagogue. And he always, always managed to sneak away for prayer and solitude. Arguably the busiest man who ever existed with more responsibility on his shoulders than anyone else who's ever existed. Managed to go at a pace that let him accomplish everything he was put on the earth to do and add value to the people whom his heavenly father had brought into his life. And he did it at a pace that did not burn him out. Now, if your brain works anything like my brain, and probably is, particularly if, if you're not a Christian or believe in God here and you're just thinking purely like rationally about all this, you, it's easy to criticize this position because you're like, well, you know, Sure, he had a sweet-ass pace of life. He, like, cruised around pre-electricity, got to walk all day, didn't have to work the nine-to-five, lived pre-industrial revolution, and, um, you know, ancient Middle Eastern culture. It's a little bit more complicated for us, Johnny. I totally agree. It's not like we can superimpose an ancient Middle Eastern way of life onto our lives. Our lives seemingly are much more complicated, no doubt. But... Stay with me. From a sociological perspective, we've also got it way easier in many regards. When was the last time you had to go hunt for your dinner and kill something, right? When was the last time you had to, some of you remember the times you had to lob the head off a chicken, but these days, not so often, right? When was the last time you had to go and find a well to pull up a pail of water? You know what I mean? Um, when was the last time you had to light a fire, like literally, like cook your dinner? Um, yeah, I know you're all thinking, oh, I know you're getting smart on me, but you see my point, right? In fact, in fact, we get more time to do more things thanks to electricity. Your days are far longer now, right? You can turn on the lights and you can keep working, okay? So while we might not be over, able to superimpose an ancient Middle Eastern way of life into ours, we can certainly do what Jesus said to do, and that was to learn from him. That's what he invited, because I want you to learn from me. 
Like learn my values, learn my principles, learn my conviction, learn my ethos, learn my ethic, learn what I know. From what I can tell about the pace of Jesus is that his pace ultimately was set by his priorities. Now I want you to think about priorities for a moment, okay? This is no stretch. You get this because you're alive and you're smart. Our lives daily are bombarded by other people's priorities for our lives. Bombarded. I'm gonna, what's another adjective here? No, that does the job. Bombarded, okay? I've even got it written down here, literally. Every company wants you to prioritize them in your financial budget. That's what marketing is, right? You won't survive if you don't buy this, right? Like that's what marketing is. You need to prioritize us in your budget. Every company's working for that. And it's good on them. Every family member, isn't this true? Wants you to prioritize every bit of margin of your time to them. Whatever margin of time you got, every family member will ask it of you. God bless them for that. I'm in that too. Every employer wants you to prioritize them in your mental and energy reserves. They want you to bring the best of you to your workplace. And I get that. And every information outlet wants you to prioritize them with your attention and your emotion. Give us all your attention. Give us all your emotion. This is what the world is like. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Right? We're bombarded with priorities set by everyone else, okay? When Chloe and I first took on uh, this responsibility to be your pastor, to pastor uh, Suncoast and Impact Churches, um, we, we paused to consider and to take stock of life and what that would mean. I had the privilege of growing up as a pastor's kid, so I had somewhat of an inside view to the life you sign up for being a pastor. And so we made a big value decision about not just how we did our jobs, but how we lived our life. And one of, like right at the top is we saw a picture of us as old people at the end of our life and what type of people we wanted to be like then. And we decided we want to be in love with each other. We want to still like people and people like us and still love Jesus. So what does that look like? How do we keep smiling, you know? Whatever that looks like. We started from there and worked backwards. Longevity. We didn't want to, we just decided as far as was concerned with us, again, there's stuff that's out of our hands, but as far as we were concerned, we don't want burnout to be part of our story. We wanted to avoid that. So that was a, it might not be your, your value, but it was for us. Um, and so, so we, you know, we said in concrete about Karen and her story there, which thank you so much, Karen, for being vulnerable and sharing openly about your journey. That was awesome and super helpful and encouraging. So we decided, yeah, we want to make sure over our weekends that, you know, we set aside time um, to rest, and to, you know, to be obedient to the God way. And so, you know, our final, our weekend's Friday and Saturday. Sunday is a, is a work day for us, being pastors, you know. And so, so come 4 p.m. Thursday, Dunzo. I'm Dunzo, unless there's board meetings that night, and then, which happen all the time. So, but end of work Friday, end uh, of work Thursday, we're done. So Fridays and Saturdays that weekend. Now, one of those days, same as you, you know, house staff, errands, grocery shopping, mowing the lawn, doing the gardens and weeding and painting and fixing and shopping. It's stuff like life, paying bills, seeing your account and all those things. Just we, you know, one day a week set aside for that. But then we do set aside a day. As often as we can, we are committed to it where we guilt-free do nothing but bludge and chill and do things that revive us and energize us. I intentionally have a subscription to a running magazine. It's like, what a waste of money, except when I pause to read that, I know I'm doing nothing. It's like, it's, I said it to Chloe, I said it to you yesterday. I'm like, do you know why I read this? Because it's me stopping. 
I'm reading about someone else's run. How boring is that? That's why I rest. Anyway, so, but, but if we didn't set that priority, right, there's a ton of other people who want me to prioritize their priorities for my, as my priorities, right? And so, so we tested this. And when we became pastors, um, people would test us on this. And I still remember about our first year or two, um, a few different encounters I had with people who didn't like the fact that we were super protective of that. And one particular story came to mind of a guy who sent me an email. And it was a big email, lots of stuff to it. Like it was one of those heavy ones, you know. And, um, and he sent it to me on a Thursday afternoon, right, right at the end of workday for me. So I was like, I'll get to it next week. And I'm not sitting all weekend on it. So I just left it there. I could see what it was about. I did not engage with it because then it'd be playing in my mind. And there's my weekend gone. So I rest it. I'll get to it next week. I, I took the head. It was not an emergency. It was just important for him. But it was okay. I could wait. Or so I thought. So I left it. So, you know, Friday, I didn't look at it. Saturday, I didn't look at it. Sundays, I'm here doing this with you. I don't do emails. Monday, from straight up Monday morning, I'm with my team. We have back-to-back meetings to plan for the next months ahead and all the things that are going and troubleshooting from the weekend, etc. By the time I got to his email, it was like Monday afternoon. So he'd sent it. Thursday afternoon it was Monday afternoon. As far as I was concerned, I got to it as quick as I could. Not according to him. And he was super, super offended and upset that it had been taking me so long to answer all of his questions. Now, I, I answered his questions, right? But not according to his timeline. And the way I pitched it to him, I've talked to him, like, you know, I caught up with him, we had coffee because he was really upset about it. I was like, come on, let's talk about this. And I explained to him, look, I get this important for you. If it was an emergency, fine. But whether I address it then or today, it wasn't going to make any difference of the outcome. So, but it would matter about my emotional and mental well being on the weekend because I'd be ticked off about things where I should have been resting. So I left it, talked about it. He didn't see the real wisdom in that, according to him. So I just said to him this, listen, you had an option. Either you'll have an answer from me or you'll have a pastor, but you can't have both. If I answer whenever you want the answer, I'll burn out. And then you won't have a pastor and then no one will answer your email. So I'll get to it in the right priority of orders of things. It might not be when you want it, but I'll get to it. Your pace <laughs> must be set by certain priorities. And here's the thing. Burnout happens when we find ourselves saying yes to other people's priorities and here's the important part, whilst neglecting your own. Now, don't get me wrong. We should, as Jesus follows, we should be people who care more about what's going on in other people's lives than any other people on the planet, right? We should care about what's important to the people God has brought us into our world, our family members, our neighbors, our faith community, our city. Like We should care, but not to the neglect of your own. Don't do an Elliot, right? Don't give resource you've got on your run that you can't afford to spare that ends you up with burnout. You might be a nice guy to others, but you didn't achieve what you were put on the planet to do. So you can do it without, though, neglecting your own priorities. And here's the thing. We all carry a burden. We all take on some yoke or some teaching. We have learned to live life by some set of values that someone has shown us or someone has taught us. Either we've been intentional about it or we haven't been. We can all take on a yoke or a burden or a way of life that will either lead us to being weary or rested, to either being burnt out or fired up. So my encouragement to you is take on Jesus' yoke. Learn from Him. Learn the Jesus way. There's got to be something that we allow the Jesus way, the Jesus priority, the Jesus pace to interrupt the priorities that are constantly bombarded in our lives by the world around us, and I'm not calling them evil or bad because we do the same. I want everyone around me to do things as I want them done, when I want them done, right? We all want it. 
and the stuff we can't control, but what is in your, what is in your stewardship to take care of is your priorities and your pace. So, so today I promise we're going to talk about what, how do we avoid burnout. So to get to that over this series, what I want to begin is some warning signs to know that you could know whether burnout is coming, all right? Here, it's like a massive list. There's 11 on this list. This list isn't exhaustive. And don't quote me on this as though I'm some medical professional, okay? Like, don't go, well, my pastor said, and I followed, like, and now I'm, I'm, no, this is not medical advice, right? This is like huge, common, very general signs that maybe there are some things, priorities that are out of balance in your uh, life. Now, you might recognize, if you end up recognizing maybe one, two, or three of them, you're probably not burnt out, right? And there are seasons in our life where more is asked from us, where there's burdens in our life, where priorities that maybe aren't important become super important. Like, I get that. So, so if you have just a couple on this list, maybe you're not burnt out. It's maybe just like, keep tabs on that, right? And there are seasons. I'm not giving an absolute rule in law. Yes, yeah, so I should just not ever do anything ever. Like, that's, that's a cop-out. That's called laziness, Right? This series is not a license for laziness. This is lessons on longevity. Ooh, that's going on Instagram tomorrow. <laughs> Such a kook sometimes. Anyways, um, but if maybe six, seven, eight of these come up, and you're like, yeah, that's me, yeah, that's me, that's me. These are definite uh, cautions that maybe you're in low-grade burnout or maybe you're heading towards a cliff. So here are 11 potential signs that you perhaps are approaching some measure of burnout and you need to avoid it and you need to make some changes to your pace and your priorities. So let's check them out. Number one, maybe you're finding your passion fades. And this isn't complicated. Interpret it, you know, things that you are super into, super engaged with. Just, there's just no fire in your engine for them anymore. You're just finding the normal passion you have for certain things just is non-existent. Number two, you no longer feel the highs or lows. You are supposed to feel things. If you're feeling low about something, that's good. It means you're feeling. If something bad is happening, you feel bad about it. That doesn't mean you're burnt out. It means something bad's happening, right? You're supposed to feel things. If you're not feeling anything anymore, that's a warning sign. Number three, little things make you disproportionately emotional, right? So something happens that, you know, should, you might out of the scale of one to 10, you should be act, maybe reacting at about a three. It's a little bit annoying, but you find yourself acting at like 11. It's like, ah, oh, why? That could be a sign. You're disproportionately reacting to little things. We go on. Number four, everybody drains you. Everybody. It's like, no matter who you talk to, you're rolling your eyes, you're just over people. Here's the thing. If everybody is draining you, the problem is probably not with them. It's probably with you. Number five, you find yourself becoming more and more cynical. This is a big one, okay? This sneaks up on us. If you find yourself, you're the big, you might be the big, biggest cynic in your social group. Wow, there's a lot of words that are difficult for someone with a minor lisp to say. Um, here's what I found in life, that Cynicism rarely finds its home in a healthy soul. If you find yourself being cynical over everything, it could be a warning sign to you. Um, number six, nothing satisfies you. Sleep, prayer, food, vacations, work, recreation, none of it. Just doesn't float your boat anymore. It's a warning sign. Number seven, you can't think straight. Like, uh, you know, 
task, like an email that might have usually taken you two minutes to write to give answers takes like an hour. You just, your, your thoughts are always blurred. You can't, it's not cognitive as, as much as you were. Number eight, your productivity is dropping. You just find yourself not producing the same kind of standard at work or your relationships or how you measure your life. Again, these are just, these are very general. These are warning signs. Number nine, maybe you're self-medicating a whole lot. And you know this is a warning sign when you find yourself self-medicating rather than taking self-care. A big difference between self-care and self-medication. Because if you self-medicate, again, are you turning to any form of substance or food or entertainment or um, any kind of thing that has an addictive nature to it, they don't make you better. They might make you feel good for a moment. Self-care is very different. Self-care is making decisions to make yourself better. If you quickly find yourself, you're always going to self-medicate. It's a warning sign. Almost there. Number number 10, you don't laugh anymore. The joy is gone. In fact, big sign for this one is you find yourself resenting other people you see who are enjoying their lives. Lastly, sleep and time off, well, they no longer refill you. Listen, if you were just tired, arguably a holiday would fix it. So here's 11 signs. And again, this isn't exhaustive and... You know, use your, your judgment and your reason and your good sense and counsel to work through that. Now, next week, these are the signs. Next week, we're going to look at solutions, okay? Solutions to put in place about what to do if you recognize there's a whole lot of things happening in my life. Well, scripturally, in the Jesus way, what does the Jesus way encourage me to do? We're going to look at that next week. But between this week's signs and next week's solutions, there is a question that I want you and I to wrestle with over the next week. And you can write this down. You can take a picture of it. You can elbow the person sitting next to you saying, remind me of this later on, right? Whatever you got to do, this is a question I want you to intentionally, on purpose, and regularly ask before we look at the solutions to these signs next week. And here's the question. What is setting your pace? What is So Jesus invited us to take on his pace. He said, take my yoke on you, walk with me, learn from me. And he says, you know you're gonna learn from me. You know you're walking with me. You know you're taking on my pace if it's leading you to soul rest, that your soul is buoyant and alive and you've got joy. And yeah, there's a lot going on. And you're like, but instead of being burnt out, you're fired up. Maybe if that's not your story, something else perhaps could be setting our pace. And so I want you to ask this question, what is setting your pace Has it been, come on, let's be straight. Is media setting the pace of your life right now? Or is fear setting the pace of your life? Are you running around panicked and flustered and worn out because you're constantly bombarded by all this information, getting your attention, getting your emotion, right? Come on, what is setting your pace? Is fear, is your past setting your pace? Do you find yourself weighed down by guilt and shame? Like I could give a huge list. So that's why I want you to delve into this next week. Ask a loved one, ask a friend, ask someone. Put it on Facebook if you want to. Where do I get my pace from? I don't know. Come to some conclusion. Where have I been getting my pace from? The reason I ask that is when we consider Jesus and that he was the embodiment of the love of God to humanity. And if he was, and I believe he was, he proved it by giving his life for us on the cross and then authenticated what that meant by resurrecting from the dead. 
if Jesus is the embodiment of the love of God towards humanity, then do you realize that love has a pace? Love has a pace. And to get some idea, what, is, what pace would love have? Well, lucky for us, we get it in Scripture. As the New Testament authors tried to flesh out and apply the Jesus way and the Jesus ethic and the Jesus model of life and put it into practical application in our life, there's one place, one letter written where the Apostle Paul summed up the pace of love in one word. And this is used pretty much in every single Christian wedding you have ever attended in your life, right? It's from 1 Corinthians, letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love has a pace. And it's usually the pace of the person in front of you. Love has a pace. I've got a one-year-old daughter and my heart is just is overwhelmed with love for her. It's, it's painful at times how much I love this girl. And I'm conscious every single day in the morning and the afternoon to get on her level. She crawls everywhere to look her in the eyes and to do things at her pace. If I'm always trying to get her to do my pace, There'd be a rush sense, there'd be flustered, there'd panic. And you get, if you're a parent, if you've been a parent, you understand what that can be like, right? And I I get that. Trust me, I get that. So I'm intentional at times. I'm on purpose. It's something that God has given me to steward. I get on her level and I go at her pace. And yeah, I've got a million things to take care of, but love is patient. And if I love this girl, I will go at her pace. And I will let her look me in the eye and know that my dad is patient. He loves me. And even more than that, it exemplifies what God through Jesus has done for us. Jesus is God deciding to go at the pace of humans. God stepped out of eternity into the mess and the complexity and the panic and the anxiety of the human story to show that he loves you because love has a pace and love is patient. Sometimes we wonder why doesn't God just snap his fingers and do all this because that's not what love is like. And you know that love is patient. So my encouragement to you this week, as you ask, what has, what is setting my pace? Let love set your pace. Your love for your family, your love for God, your love for wanting to make a difference, your love for yourself. Let love be the driving factor of what sets your pace in your life. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you stepped out of eternity to walk in our shoes. I don't know if we'll ever fully, on this side of heaven, appreciate just how much that costs you. But we take this moment to say thank you, And this morning, would you help us to accept the invitation from Jesus to learn from Him? Help us, Holy Spirit, each one of us, to look at our pace in life. And I pray for those this morning particularly that are burnt out, that are worn out, that are tired, that their souls feel like they are redlining. I pray today they would encounter the fullness that comes through the Holy Spirit and the fullness that comes through following Jesus. You'd encourage people in the journey. You'd encourage people's faith today.
What I'd love to do with just all our, I guess our heads bowed to create a moment of privacy here. Maybe you're watching online or you're sitting in the back row, wherever you're at. And you know this morning that you've never personally experienced the love of God for your own life. I wanna give that opportunity for you right now to do that. We're gonna pray a prayer. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this out loud. If you've never done this before, it might seem a bit odd or weird, and I guess it kind of is, but it is just a practical way of, of you responding to God's love for you, saying, yes, I want it in my life. And the way we receive that is essentially acknowledging that we need that. The Christian word for it, it means repentance, to turn towards God, acknowledge that I've made mistakes. The Bible calls that sin, saying, I need God in my life. And God's love is for you. He loves you. And so if that's you this morning, I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer out loud. I want you to pray this as if you're the only person in the room. I want you to make it personal. Whether you're watching this live or later on, I don't mind. Here's a prayer of accepting God's love and forgiveness for your sins. So if we can pray this prayer with me out loud together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus. Today I choose to repent of my sin to acknowledge my need of your forgiveness. Thank you for your love towards me today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are truly blessed by what you heard. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au.